We give you all the glory and all the praise. We ask that you would have your way. Speak afresh in this place and grant that we will hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you tonight, saints. So glad you joined us here tonight at Shiloh. We're talking again in the Word tonight, and I want you to know we are tonight in um, the book of Genesis, again, chapter 48. Chapter 48, we only have two chapters to go, and uh, when this is over and we'll finish this in book of Genesis, we're going to take a break for the Christmas uh, break, and then we will come back with our new theme in the beginning of the year. Um, but we're going to look at this tonight and be excited about the Word of God. I'm talking again from the theme, Living Faith in Stressful Times. Living Faith in Stressful Times. You know, not an easy topic to talk about, but a topic that comes up as a result of the text. There are probably a lot of things that one could call stressful times. You know, the birth of a child can be stressful, particularly if the mother is not well or if there are any issues with the baby. Yeah, there are times when you have persons who are physically ill and it's very stressful. Times when you're doing caregiving for people who are either ill or aging and in some way incapacitated, and that's really stressful. And there are times when you are dealing with your own workplace trauma and the trauma of life, just the uh, issues that happen in life. Um, people will put us in places that push us to the brink uh, and the edge where we almost feel like we're about to go over. But I can't think of a more stressful time for people and for families than end-of-life care. I watched my wife and her family as uh, my brother-in-law Michael was coming down to the end of his journey, journeying back and forth and being at the hospital with him and his brother uh, being there, his former wife being there with their children by his side. and. Uh, the compassion and love of standing by somebody at the end of life that they displayed, being there for someone when they're in that final moments of their existence in the world. Watch my dear Deacon Daniels as he loved and cherished Deaconess Maggie Daniels in the final moments of her life, caring for her personally and for all of her personal care at their home putting up a bed in their living room just so she could be comfortable in those final stages. The other day I called one of my colleagues and I was calling about some things related to the university and I, I called him and he called me and let me know uh, the reason he couldn't pick up at the moment I called was he was by the bedside of his aunt who was in the midst of her transition nothing more stressful even when it's a beloved saint even when it's somebody that you care for as my mother made her transition my siblings and I tried to be there for her my sisters had done your woman's work just caring for her in the final years of her life and that final transition nothing can be more stressful than end of life care but nothing can buoy the spirit either like the saints in transition. 
You know, my mother, at the end of her life, took each one of my children and she spoke over their lives. She prayed for them and gave prophetic words over each of them. She gave prophetic words to each of her biological children that she had birthed into the earth. Various ones came around and each time someone came around, she gave them a word from the Lord. Sort of her last charges into the earth realm. The topic is living faith in stressful times. And what's interesting to me is the way in which she was able to gather herself up after being down low maybe all day, but the presence of somebody coming in, there was a power that was generated, the anointing and all caused them to move to another level. And I guess that that's a part of what this text reveals tonight. When you read it real close, it's an uncomfortable text. It's uncomfortable because of a couple of things that happened in it. But it's also a very revealing text, a very loving text. And it is the best of the sage individual who recognizes that their days are few that are before them. And the days behind them are nearly over. It's tough. And I see my dear sister Barnett saying she just funeralized her beloved husband. And we've been praying for him. Nothing harder than that. Nothing harder than that. And our hearts go out to you. We have been praying with Sister Barnett for both her husband and for Julius Jones. We got one word of brightness when the governor of Oklahoma gave a stay of execution with four hours left and Sam preserved his life. But now she's had to send her husband to that final resting place. That's a tough time. These are stressful times. And we pray for each other. We hold each other up. We remember each other. We keep each other. And so tonight I want to look at what, what this patriarch does. And I want to look at how he handles these final moments of his life. For me it's reminiscent. Look at the text with me. And I'll read scripture with each of these points I want to make. So we're going to really read the whole 22 or so verses, however many of them are there. There are, and this text reveals five movements of the aging patriarch. Five movements of the aging patriarch. There are five things that he does. I've seen them in action by others. Maybe who had read or didn't have not read this, they just lived this as their experience. There are five movements that are important to us, that are things that we can learn from and things we can learn about. The first of which is that he rallied his strength. He rallied his strength. 
rallied his strength. If you opened up your Bibles there to Genesis 48, verses 1 through 2, it simply says, Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was sold, indeed your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. You know, that word strengthened is the same word that when we read about David after the, the, uh, the outrageous acts of the enemy had taken away their families and all, and we always quote that word, and David encouraged himself or he strengthened himself in the things of God. That's the word right there. Same word, Hazog. He strengthened himself. Somehow, he knew his son was coming. He knew he was bringing his boys. And he mustered up his strength and power to take care of some anointing business. To take care of some business. I, I want to just suggest to you that God has a way of giving you the strength you need to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done in a way that you didn't think it could be done. You didn't think you could go through that situation, but God let you get through it. You didn't think you could handle that type of pain, but God let you get through it. You didn't think you could deal with that pressure, but God let you get through it. You didn't think you were going to be able to go through that ailment, but God let you get through it. You didn't think you could endure those doctor's visits, but God let you get through it. Somehow, God keeps rallying your strength from within. There's a strengthening that God does. There's a way in which God allows us, not, not just at our dying days, not just at the end of life. No, David did it just before he went to overtake his enemies. He did it in the midst of having all of those around him talk of stoning him to death. He rallied his strength. And it's important that you realize that God makes available strength that you know not of, to deal with life at its most difficult times. I, I, I like to talk about uh, the New Testament version of this. Is, uh, comes from uh, the Pauline epistle where Paul says that, that God will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. And I like to phrase it uh, as illogical peace. In other words, by anything logical, you should not be at peace. But by divine mercy, you have it. By any rational thought, you should be falling apart. But by God's grace, you're being held together. By anything anybody else could say, you should have thrown in the towel. But God has said, not so. He's given you the strength to endure that which you must endure. That's, that's that illogical peace. It's a peace that doesn't make any sense. And God can give you that. And he does give it to us. And, and that, that's, that's important to me. I, I told you I've seen my mother would have been moaning in pain hours earlier. And someone walked in the door. And she stood up. Almost to the chagrin of my, my, my siblings, uh, Deborah and Gloria in particular, because it's like, wait a minute, we, we just saw you. How did you get 
what, what in the world? And with all of our energy, raise up in the anointing, prophetic word, the move of God. God allows you to rally his strength. The Bible said he sat up, he sat up on his bed, which, which would indicate that he had been lying down up until that point. He sat up. My boy is here. I need to talk to him. And the second point, which is interesting here, is that he reflected on his surety. His surety. And, and, and the word surety is, is a word that actually references the ground of his confidence. He, he reflected on that which made him confident. What makes you confident, yeah, Brother Jacob? What, what, what makes you so confident? What makes you so strong? And, and I can hear him whispering to us all, I got a promise. And my promise has been made by someone who always keeps his promises. He reflected on that. He reflected on that. He says to them, verse 3 and 4, look at the text if you will. I'm reading out the Amplified Version for those who are following along with me. He says, then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Lutz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Interesting how he reflects upon his surety, upon what God has done. Notice what's not there though, because it's not just about him. Notice he doesn't mention anything about having his name changed. He didn't mention about call me Israel. No, he, he talks about what the promise means through him to future generations. Because what he's reflecting on now is not about the shift that happened in his life, He's reflecting upon the fact that he's able to pass it down through his virginity. He's able to pass it down to his children and his children's children, what God has put entrusted to him. And so he's reflecting on that and the surety of which comes with the promises of God. I want to just say this to you. you. You need to realize this. I don't care what you're going through right now. I'm talking to somebody. I want to walk down your street, get up in your Kool-Aid, and get in there and try to even know the flavor. Here you need to realize you can always go back and reflect on God's promises. At his dying bed, he was still holding on to the promise. All of his life, he held on to the promise. You don't get to be over 100 something years old if you're not holding on to the promise. Let me tell you something. You have to hold on to the promise and know that God's promises are yea and amen. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll bring it to pass. You've got to hold on to the promises of God. You've got to believe that God is going to keep you and bless you. He says, I'll keep you in perfect peace. You keep their mind stayed on me. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe he promised you that he was a comforter. And you've got to believe that the comforter, the paracletos, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. We've got a promise. We've got a promise made by God. He reflected on, on his surety. 
he reflected on the ground of his very confidence. I, I, I want you to understand. I, I know, I know what, what I'm confident about. I'm confident because I know what I heard God say. And what God said to me, it spoke to my heart. And you can't make me doubt him. I know too much about him. You can't make me doubt him. I've seen what he'll do. I've seen him take me through too much. I, 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 if, I, if I wanted to, I could holler right there because I've been through too much not to worship him. I've been too much, through too much not to hold on even in times when it feels like you ought to be given up. I'm not giving up now. Uh, no, I just can't give up now. I've come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me that the road would be easy. And I don't believe he brought me this far to leave me. And so, so, so we have this, he, he rallied his strength. And then we have him reflecting on his surety, the ground of his confidence. We, we, we have him reflecting on his surety. But then, in, in a strange move, in, in what has to be considered, ah, just different. He says some things to Joseph's sons, and about Joseph's sons, that are just odd. Because what he does, and, and, and I want to read the scripture and then I'm going to give you this statement. But let's read it first. Get chapter, again, 48, verse 5. Let's start there. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you. In Egypt. Stop right there. He says, now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt. Before I came to you in Egypt. And then he says something really weird. He says, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. First and second born. He says, I want you to know your children are mine. Well, hold on, hold on. What, what are we talking about here? Come on, let me, let me give you this third point because it's going to get gooder and gooder in a minute. The third thing is, he recognized his son's sons. He asserted his right of adoption. He recognized his son's sons, and he asserted his right of adoption. He said, um, your sons are mine. Just like my, my seniors, my, my, my oldest boys are mine, your, your sons now belong to me. They're mine. Verse 6 says, your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padaram, Rachel, uh, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way. He's reflecting on his mother, on, on, on the boy's mother. 
He says, when there, there was a little bit of distance to go to Ephra, and I buried her there on the way to Ephra, that is Bethlehem. He says, um, I'm here getting ready to bless your children, um, but I want you to know I'm, I'm here because your mama only had uh, two children, and you're one of the two, and if she could have lived longer, she'd have had more. But on behalf of the memory of your sated mother, on behalf of my love for her, on behalf of my love for you and what you have done for your family, I'm going to tell you now, I'm adopting your sons. I'm adopting Manasseh and Ephraim. I'm adopting Ephraim and Manasseh. I'm adopting all the rest of them. They're yours. I know some of you know about this in your families. You've had family members who were, you know, somebody had a child and, and they had a child out of wedlock and, and some aunt down in Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi took that baby and raised them like their own, adopted them. Somebody, somebody else had, had, had someone in their life that blessed them and adopted them into their family. Um, I can't tell his testimony, but he's told it to me so many times, I feel like I know it well enough that I'm not doing a disservice to share a little bit of it. Arch, Archbishop Bailey talks about his father in the gospel, L.L. L. Hamlin. And one of the reasons he took to me so well, not only because he's just a great man of God and is a very befriending individual, that, that, that's just who God has blessed him to be. But one of the reasons he took to me was the fact that I'm big. And L.L. L. Hamlin was a pastor, he and his wife, and I take it that they had no children, and, and Archbishop's mother had a lot of children. And Archbishop, uh, his, 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 his mother knew who the pastor was, uh, Pastor Hamlin, and I think I'm getting it right, and, and, and he took him like his own child. When, 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 uh, when Pastor Hamlin got a new suit, young Leroy got a new suit. So when I met Archbishop Bailey, this is the true story, and, and he looked at the suit I was wearing, he was uncomfortable but didn't know how to tell me. So he says to me, he says, uh, says I, I, I need to tell you I don't like the suit you're wearing, it doesn't, doesn't look good on you. Says, okay, we're, we're just getting to know each other here. And I said, well, I got the best they had in the store, at the time the store in Orange, Connecticut. Uh, the best they had in the store, he said, uh, he said, no, that's not the best they had. He said, my daddy, and that's the first time he told the story by all am, was a big man just like you. He wore a 22 mule collar, and he was a dressing man. And what you need to do, and he started going off. And they started telling me about getting the suit. And I, and I said to him, I said, well, I, I believe that, that's out of my league. He said, I need you to come preach with me. This is a true story. Bought me in to preach for him, gave me money, introduced him to his, 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 his tailor. He said, now what I want you to do with what God just blessed you with is I want you to let this tailor here make your suit. Because he passed down what he had inherited from L.L. L. Hamlin to me. Blessed me. But Hamlin had done something in him by adopting him. 
He helped to make him, never took him away from his family. He was still a part of his family. But he brought him into his family and into his mindset, his way of life. And all of the educational things that happened afterwards and the glorious work that God has done at the cathedral are all a result of that adoption. And what was happening in this text is a similar adoption. It's not that he's taking him physically from his father. He said, no, I'm incorporating you into something bigger than you are. I'm incorporating these boys into something greater than they are. Watch where I'm going now. He doesn't ask, can I adopt your boys? He simply says, I came to you in Egypt and are mine. He says, these are mine. As my Reuben and my Simeon, these are mine. And matter of fact, I'm going to skip over Reuben and Simeon because I'm getting ready to bless you in a way that they're not going to get a blessing because I just adopted them because I'm getting ready to do something for them in a way that I can't do it unless they're my sons. But if they're my sons, I can bless them in a way that I can't bless them if they're not my sons. Because they got to be my, not my grandsons. They got to be my sons because if they're my sons, I can give them a birthright alongside of my other sons. So that these two can have a place among my sons, among my children. They don't get a grandchild portion. They're going to get a portion with my children. I need to, ooh, I feel like preaching this tonight. Let me tell you something. That's why the Lord didn't just adopt us. He brought us in as sons and daughters of God. Because if he had brought us in any other way, we could not expect the same inheritance. But he made us sons and daughters of God. That's why we're his children. We've been grafted in to the kingdom of God through the blood of the living Christ. You've got to realize something. God says, if I, if I don't make you one of me, if I don't make you my son, if I don't make you my daughter, if I don't make you like me, I can't bless you the way I want to bless you if you don't want to be under my covering. I'm going to put you under my covering. I'm putting you under my covering. What, what Hamlin did for Archbishop was put him under his covering. What, what, what he says is, I'm putting you under my covering. And my covering will bless you. My covering will bring you into a wealthy place. My covering is going to put you on another level. And I want to help somebody here. That's why you've got to humble yourself like a son and daughter of God and be obedient like a child of the living king. You've got to act like you know that you're a king's kid because as a child of God, there are blessings for you. Here he is. He puts him, he says, I'm asserting my right and I'm going to recognize my son's son. I um I'm, uh, many years ago, my grandfather, he 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 blessed me, and he gave me the same inheritance with his children. When he divided the land that he had in Alabama, every child got an equal portion. There was one portion left, and my grandfather said, "I want my preacher to have that. I want my reverend to have that portion." right there 
put it in his name separated from the others let me tell you something when God wants to bless you he put you and say I'm going to give you an everlasting portion you, you didn't get this I'm going to put you on the level with my son Jesus and I'm going to give you an everlasting portion and I'm going to bless you through him I'm going to bless your family I'm going to bless those around you I'm going to bless you because you are my child And, and here it is, here it is, here it is. Not only does he do that, not only does he recognize his son's sons. That's Ephraim and Manasseh. But then he realigned his successors. He realigned his successors. He realigned his successors. This is interesting because here now God is getting ready to do something different through this man of God. He's getting ready to put an anointing on these boys. He's getting ready to bring, elevate them to another place and he's going to bless them. Hold, hold tight because this is good. This is going to get gooder and gooder. Come on here now. Listen. Let's pick it up at verse 8. He realigned his successors. Verse 8. And here, here's the formal move of now that, that's going to happen. Israel saw Joseph's sons. Well, up to this point, he was talking to Joseph about, first of all, the, the exchange. I'm adopting your sons. They're mine, not yours. Now the boys who have not yet spoken to their grandfather, the boys are there, and now, now he looks up. Remember now, Israel, notice they use the word Israel here. Israel looks up, standing in the capacity of patriarch of the family. He looks up and he said, who are these? Remember, we've got a couple of things going on. One, he, we know that his eyes have grown dim, so he doesn't see very well. So now we have him saying, who are these? Tell me what's going on. And Joseph now brings his boys up. He's got his boys here. He's got his, his Manasseh is, is where he can be on, on, on Joseph's left side. Ephraim's on his right side. He's got him there so that if he's going to give a blessing, he wants him to put his right hand on the head of Manasseh and his left hand on the head of, because Manasseh was born first. So watch, watch, come on. This, this, is, this is it, watch this, here it is. Then Israel saw Joseph's son, said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, these are my sons, whom God has given me in this place. Notice that, that Joseph automatically attributes the blessing of birth to God. Not something I've done, not, not something that some person has given to me, or even my wife, God has done this. And he said, please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Bring them to me, I'm going to bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. 
These boys got close to their grandfather probably for the first formal time at a formal occasion, and he grabs them. He's not acting just simply as patriarch of the family. He's acting as granddaddy now, and he hugs and kisses his boys. He, he spends a moment with them, and he embraces them, not unsimilar to Genesis 27, verse 27. says he came near and kissed them. And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Notice who did that? That was just before the blessing was passed on. As just before the, he, was think, he was thinking he was smelling the smell of Esau. But of course we know the trickster was standing in front of him. Listen, but he kissed him. This is a way of greeting. This is a formal way of, of showing love and affection. Verse 40, Genesis 45, verse 15. After Joseph reveals himself, moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. And after his brothers talked with him. So it's a form of affection and greeting and love and compassion. And of course, near the end, then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him in Genesis 50. That there's a powerful embrace. So he embraces his boys. He embraces his grandson. And Israel said to Joseph, I have not thought to see your face. Notice now he's reminiscing first. He said, I didn't think I would ever see your face again. But in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knee. And he bowed down with his face to the ground. They, they, honored the, they honored the man. They wanted to honor him. We bow for your, your, your greatness, your age, your, your sagaciousness. And Joseph took both Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand. So if you, you would think that Israel sitting, if he was sitting in front of me, he'd have his hand stretched out, so his right hand would be on, his, on, on this side. So he's coming up to him. He's got him lined up. And he's going to put the right hand on Manasseh, the left hand on Ephraim. But watch what happens. He, said, he says, so Joseph bought them, uh, verse 13. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with the right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now notice now, he now, they try to get him to put his hand on the oldest child's head on the right side, because that was the hand considered for the blessing. But instead, he doesn't do what they want. He literally crosses his hand and lays his right hand on the head of Ephraim and his left hand on the head of Manasseh. He literally 
prophetically moved in a whole different direction than what they were thinking. Literally, he embraced the younger above the older. Literally, he took this and, and, and you, you would think, okay, wait a minute, now this, there's something wrong here. You, you, you need to go back. You made a mistake. Maybe you don't realize you crossed your hands, old man. You know, what's wrong with you? You, you, you got the wrong hand on the wrong child. I want to share something with you. One of the things that we need to realize is that God has a way of doing selection that is bound in God's grace and mercy and nothing else. You, 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 don't, you don't merit what God does in many cases of your life. Matter of fact, let's just be honest about it. If we got what we merited, none of us would even be here. The truth of the matter, all of our righteousness is no more than the filthy rags, so all of us are sinners just saved by grace. God has a way of picking us and selecting us through his own sovereign choice. The sovereignty of God put in front of him these boys and the sovereignty of God said, here's what I'm getting ready to do. The younger will be over the older. God says, I'm going to bless you. Not according to merit, I'm going to bless you. You know, you, if you think about it, you, you think about how God selects, you know, uh, if, if we were being honest, Abraham has two sons, Ishmael, and then God gives him Isaac. And God, God tells him right away, look, the inheritance is in Isaac. I know Ishmael's a good man. I'm going to make a great nation out of him. But your younger son is going to be the one through whom the inheritance is going to be. When Esau and Jacob come before the Lord, I, I know Esau is a rugged man, an outsourced man, a great man, a great fighter, provider. But hey, God picked and God allowed to be picked Jacob. And here in this case, we look down and all of a sudden, the older Manasseh is being pushed aside, so to speak, so that God can bless Ephraim. But he's blessing both of them. He's blessing both of them, but one is going to walk in a deeper and greater way and do some things different than the other. And, and here's what I want to give you for my fifth and final point as we get ready to close this out. So stay with me. I'm, I'm rolling somewhere here. The fifth thing is that he refused standardization. He refused standardization. I know people would think this is the way it's supposed to be. I know people would say this is how it ought to happen. But what you need to know is, if God has something for you, what the standards are, what other people think, don't matter. You could be the one with the degree, and this person over here, God said, I'm great blessed. It doesn't matter. You could be the one who do, who's done 99,000 things right, but if God says, I'm going to bless this one right here, it doesn't matter. The sovereignty of God is of such that God blesses. That's why I try to tell people, stop getting all upset when you don't seem to have what you want immediately because you don't know what God is working on on your behalf and how God's going to make the whole story end. 
Let's go back to the text. I'm going to read these last few verses. I'm going to close and get up out of here. Watch this, verse 17. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand and to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Isn't it funny how he wants him now to do this? Put your hand on But his father refused. He refused the standardization, remember that, and said, I know my son, I know. You, you, are, you know, sometimes when you see older people do stuff, you think they don't know what they're doing. You think, oh, you're just doing it. No, 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 no. Old man, like, I know my eyes are dim. I know I don't see well, but I did exactly what I wanted to do. I did exactly what the Lord told me to do. I did exactly what the anointing wanted me to do. This is where it belongs. I'm not, I'm not going to go with what everybody else does because you think it ought to be that way. I'm going with what God wants done. Come on to church for me in a minute as I feel like preaching right there. Sometimes people think that if you don't do it this way, one, two, three, it ain't right. If you don't go one, two, three, it ain't right. If you don't go, you got to dress this way. You got to put on this outfit. You got to have this particular thing. We learned during the pandemic that God could allow us to take communion at our homes just like he was letting us take communion in the church. Because up until that point, I promise you, we, we needed our wife on we need to have our altar prepared we need to have our communion just right we need to have our cracker just right they need to be broken by the saints of God and pray but God said no I can move in ways that you may not be comfortable with God says I refuse the standardization that people want to impose upon me I can move any way I want to I can bless anybody I want to I can keep anything I want to and what you have to understand is when God is doing what God is doing only thing you need to do is say yes Lord yes Lord yes Lord have your way Lord Come on, I'm, 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 woo, I feel like I feel it, I feel it. Look here. But his father said, refused. I'm in verse 19 for those following along. I know my son, I know. He also shall become a people. And he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day and saying, by you Israel will bless I'm saying, my, may God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I'm dying, but God be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. I don't have time to do it now. But I want to tell you something. The anointing that rested upon Ephraim that day stayed upon him and God began to use him and his household and God did great things and to the point that Moses becomes a successor uh, and, and does great things when the children of Israel are delivered. It is when Moses gets ready to step off the scene, it is one of the Ephraimites. A descendant of this wonderful anointing right here that takes Moses' place. You got to remember now, 
we get to the we get there at the middle of the place where God is getting ready to bless them and they've got to cross over the Jordan who leads them across it's Joshua what tribe are you from Joshua I'm an Ephraimite he comes from you missed it went over your head in other words son I'm trying to tell you that I'm getting ready to bless and what God is getting ready to do even years down the road God is going to be blessing through him and God's going to do something through his line because God has assignment on his life and assignment on his generations to follow him and by divine command, I'm laying hands right now. Because what I'm getting ready to do is I'm setting order. But don't think it's over. Because the Ephraimites and the, those persons who are from Manasseh, the Manassites, have God's anointing on both of their families. And both of their families serve in leadership and doing great things. And doing things to lead the children of God. Don't ever forget, the Ephraimites served as judges within the kingdom of God before they created a king. Look, you gotta know, when God wants to bless you, he gonna bless you. But before I get out of here, I am really done. I wanna tell you something, blow your mind. Unlike Joseph's brothers, when they heard that Joseph was gonna do something and be above them, they got jealous, they got angry, they got mad. They ended up putting him in a pit, sending him down to Potiphar's house, getting him put in prison, and God put him in the palace. Notice when you read this, Manasseh never says a word because I don't want your blessing. I want the blessing with my name on it because he knows what I can handle and what work I can do. Manasseh's greatest ministry to you tonight is to say, God, any way you bless me, I'll be satisfied. If you want to make me an Ephraimite, I'll stand up and do what you want me to do. But if you want to bless me like Manasseh, I'm good with that too because I just want you to Lay your hands on me. Mother Tally used to sing a song years ago. When I start thinking about my mother, I start reminiscing about her friends. Mother Tally used to sing a song. Said, lay your hands on me, Jesus. I don't mind. And I want to tell you something. You need to say, God, I don't care which hand you put. Just lay your hands on me, Jesus. I don't mind. God bless you, saints. I love you. This is the word of God for the people of God. And I hope you are saying in your hearts and minds, thanks be to God. Thank you for joining us here again, here at this place of Shiloh. And we bless God for each one of you being here. I hope you got something out of this lesson. I know I break them down a little different way than what you may know. But you stay with me. I'm, we're working on it. I told you we got two more chapters to go before we take a break. And we'll come back at the beginning of the year. Look. I love each one of you. And I want to tell you something, wherever you are, you are always welcome to become a part of Shiloh from anywhere in the world. And we'd be happy to receive you. You can call us or write us. You see the numbers up on the, on the screen. Screenshot it. Call us. Shout us out. We'd love to be a part of your life. 
Shiloh family members, you realize every, every Tuesday night when we gather, we give an offering unto the Lord. And when we give to the Lord, we give it unto our, our, our benevolence, so we bless others with it. I remind you to please give Levi Cash App or the old-fashioned way, just mail it in. I don't mind any way you want to do it. God's going to bless you for it. So give is unto the Lord, and we'll keep you in our prayers. Sister Linda Barnett, mother, we're going to keep you in our prayers, and we're holding you before the Lord. And uh, we've been praying for you. Matter of fact, I mentioned your name on the prayer call just uh, last week. So I thank God we're keeping you before God even now. Each one of you, we're praying for you. Brother Memes, we're keeping you in our prayers. We're praying for each one of you who have been sick, those who have been going through things in your lives. And I pray God will bless you mightily. I want to tell you something. I'm sitting here in this beautiful, warm sanctuary. And uh, so I invite those of you coming out this week to know that it's a wonderful, beautiful, warm place. Amen. And I'm delighted how good God has been. And uh, I thank God for each one of y'all. We will be gathered here on Sunday at our normal time. And I also want to remind y'all, be on the prayer line tomorrow at 1 o'clock. All right, God bless you, saints. It's been a good one. This has been another one from Shiloh, and I don't know if I missed anything. If I did, you charge it to my head and not to my heart, just knowing how much I love you with the love of the Lord. Guess what? You can't change my mind. God bless you. One word, benediction. And you know what it is. Shalom.